This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions. I'm Renee Frazier, the founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. Welcome to our show, The Deciders. As you know, Frazier Communications is an advertising and marketing firm, one of the largest and the leading woman-owned and woman-led firm of its type in Los Angeles, actually in Southern California. At Frazier Communications, we work very hard to change behavior, grow brands, and we work to use communications to impact society in a very positive way. On the show, The Deciders, we like to focus in on leaders in their fields who are change agents in their communities. And today we're going to be talking about how we manage through COVID-19 and the pandemic. Many of us are on edge these days with growing concern about the spread of COVID-19, and we're all learning how to cope with the new reality of staying home. As many of you know, my firm, Frazier Communications, is handling a lot of the communications and social media coming from the Department of Public Health. And we do realize that we are getting people tense with the information in some cases. But on this show, we're going to help you with advice on how to cope with this situation as we experience um, anxiety about what the future holds for us financially, emotionally, and in some cases physically. We brought on a wonderful expert who understands the challenges like isolation and loneliness. The gentleman is Dr. Gary Small, who is Professor of Psychiatry and Biobehavioral Sciences, also Director of Geriatric Psychiatry, and Director of the UCLA Longevity Center. Welcome to The Deciders, Dr. Small. Thank Welcome you. Welcome to the show. Great to be part of your program. We're happy to have you here and to be able to share the information. I know that you've given a lot of thought to how people can reduce some of the mental health risks uh, that are occurring during this difficult time. Can you give us some recommendations, particularly related to how we accept information and what information we should be looking at and probably how frequently we should be uh, turning on the news? Well, that's going to vary from person to person. And you have people at the extremes, those who are living in denial and want to uh, block out the truth and the reality of what's going on because it makes them too anxious, and those who become information junkies. They cannot turn off the television, stop reading multiple uh, newspapers online. And I think uh, we all need to find a middle ground. It's, It's very important to reduce anxiety and stress by getting accurate information, but not over consuming news because that can be Uh, very stress-provoking as well. That's a good point. Now, accurate information, that's an interesting point. And we know that uh, we've been dealing with disinformation. There's been any conversations about it regarding elections and other information. Some of the news has been talking about uh, some of the inaccurate information. What would be your recommendation in terms of accurate sources? Where should people focus their efforts or their attention? You know, I think certainly organizations like the CDC or the World Health Organization um, uh, produce accurate information. I mean, these, these are well-vetted uh, bits of documents that come out uh, very frequently right now. Um, there are other news agencies that we tend to trust, and I think I would turn to them. Uh, of course, each has their own bias and political bend, and people have preferences one way or the other. Uh, But I think, you know, we each need to look at it in a reasonable way, vet it, 
and uh, think what makes sense to us. There's there's a lot of conspiracy theories going on out there. Uh, I know from my studies of social contagion and mass hysteria that there's always rumors and exaggerations in heightened states of emotion. So we have to be mm-hmm. careful to step back when something sounds strange and out of the ordinary just doesn't fit with what we think is the truth and try to uh, vet the information better. So vetting the information, and I think it'd be good for you to share. Uh, I'm a social psychologist by training, so I'm very familiar with uh, social contagion. But I'd like you to share with the audience what that means and how it happens so they can be more cognizant of the signals of that. Basically, humans are social animals, uh, you, you know, and that's actually helped us survive, uh, at least helped our ancestors survive when uh, we can take care of each other. Uh, but we also become very sensitive to uh, nonverbal cues, verbal cues, behaviors that we observe in others. And so say, social contagion is any kind of uh, transmission of a behavior, a belief, uh, a feeling from person to person. And we see it all the time. There are examples in history uh, where there's been social contagion of mass delusions. In 1939, when Orson Welles did a Roar of the World uh, radio broadcast, uh, Mm -hmm. people believed that the Martians were actually landing, and there was mass panic uh, throughout the world. And and there's been other situations where social contagion takes on the form of the transmission of physical symptoms that are actually psychosomatic. Because people, mm-hmm. uh, when they're anxious and they're under stress, they overinterpret their body sensations, their normal uh, physical sensations, and think it's something much worse. And I think that's a, an important issue right now with this uh, pandemic that we're all living through. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, for example, uh, it's um, it's spring, and a lot of people have hay fever. So, so yeah. you may be sniffling, and you mm-hmm. may have a little bit of a raspy throat, and immediately think you have the initial symptoms. Uh, from the coronavirus. And so I think it's important to remind ourselves of the reality to try to decrease the spread of, uh, of symptoms. I agree. I agree. And I think the, uh, the notion of um, misinformation, of course, is important. Uh, how much you dose or take information in, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But I want to talk about the uh, psychosomatic. Uh, people uh, somaticizing and taking physical uh, and, you know, energy and signals into their bodies as a result of stress and tension are real. I have to share that I, in the middle of the night when I'm very tense or nervous, I wake up. Somehow I believe I have all the symptoms. Mm. I feel warmer. I've noticed I'm coughing. Um, maybe there's pressure on my chest. Maybe, you know, and, and of course I, I have to talk myself through that, knowing that the worst times are late at night when our minds sometimes do that and not allow my body or my mind to interpret things inappropriately. Because, as you said, uh, with it being allergy season in spring, some people will have reactions that are coughs, but it's not due to COVID-19. So you have to be very, uh, I would say, self-reflective and uh, calming of yourself uh, to make sure that you don't uh, show these over uh, over react to these things. And also, no, it's, it's, I, a, it's a tense situation because if you do have real symptoms, you want to yes. uh, respond to them and get medical Correct. help or right. medical advice. And you want to, you're right, and you want to respond quickly and get help and get the uh, talk to your physician. You know, we did another show with uh, Dr. Allen from uh, 
Department of Public Health and their counsel is really to call your physician, not go in and then to talk with them. And uh, I know there are uh, telemedicine approaches. One of them is uh, called My COVID-19, which is a app that allows you to talk with a medical physician or a medical professional directly, and they see your face and can talk you through the symptoms. So I think you're right. If you are tense, there are ways to get uh, feedback. Uh, and then, of course, there are these pop-up testing alternatives now for so people can get some information and be calmed, if you will. Would you agree that uh, moderation is probably a, a good piece of advice in terms of taking in information? Completely. And I, and I think it's difficult to find that moderate level for each of us because as our anxiety gets higher, we want to consume more and more news. And we're looking for news that will reassure us and calm our fears. At the other hand, on the other hand, we can't help but uh, see uh, and consume more and more news that disturbs us. It, it, you know, it's a little bit like uh, when you, you're on the freeway, or at least when we used to be on the freeway and there was traffic, <laughs> it was often mm-hmm. because there was a, an accident or a, a fender bender, and everybody wanted to look at what's going on. So that we have a natural curiosity. And you know, wh- why we are attracted to the news, because our brains are actually wired to want to seek out novel experiences and sensations. So uh, the other thing that happens with overconsumption of news is that uh, we become numb to all the information. It doesn't really have an impact. We get kind of tired of it, so it doesn't have as, as much influence on us. Let's also talk about, though, the phenomena of staying at home. We know that all of us are supposed to be abiding by the rules if we're not essential workers to be safer at home, which really means sheltering in place, living with your family, and not being a part of a large group of bringing groups into your home. That can also lead to mental health issues. Could you share with with us what those are? Yeah, it can be tremendously stressful uh, being isolated. I think it's uh, particularly difficult for people who are alone in this situation, sheltering, shelter, sheltering in place without a partner, without a family uh, nearby. However, even those who have partners or who have families uh, and they're sheltering in place, that can be quite stressful too. Uh, living mm-hmm. in confinement, uh, you know, conflicts uh, among people, difficult relationships, uh, people get irritable and irritating. And so we have to find ways to manage uh, these kinds of stressful triggers. And I, I like to recommend that if you're, first of all, if you're uh, living with someone else, uh, be grateful that you have someone nearby, and hopefully it's someone you care about and love, and, and that's a, a mm-hmm. wonderful thing. And and kind mm-hmm. of remind yourself of that. Uh, another thing is if you're in a couple and you're staying together, make sure you spend time by yourself each day so you can kind mm. of recharge things, uh, maybe to meditate or perhaps to do work, and then come back together, and then you can share your experiences when you are alone. Uh, another thing to do is to uh, try to forgive each other because People are going to get tense. There's going to be arguments. But uh, kind of remember what you're grateful about and uh, try to come back and forgive your partner or your family members and and try to have a positive outlook because just as we said anxiety and psychosomatic symptoms can be infection, infectious and transmitted through social contagion, so can 
positive feelings, and so you can lift each other up. And and another thing that's, that can be helpful in that regard is spend time together doing fun things. You know, it might be uh, playing games or doing a crossword puzzle or uh, mm-hmm. certainly taking a walk outside if you can together. Yes, yes, I think you're right. You have to uh, recharge your batteries with positive things and share positive experience and, and deliberately schedule them in. I know that families... My daughter, for instance, with her two children, uh, she's deliberately creating a schedule. And the daughter, one of the girls who's eight, you know, put it up on her wall. So she knows she does her schoolwork at this time. They go out for a walk at 1130. They have lunch at noon. Uh, it, there's something comforting in routine like that, particularly for children. Well, not only for children, but for adults as well. And I think it's, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've had a lot of Zoom meetings with colleagues and friends. And particularly with friends, I notice uh, a lot of them are quite casual, and I think that's fine. But I, I know for myself, I have a lot of uh, professional meetings during the day, and I, mm-hmm. I may not wear a tie uh, when I'm working from home, but certainly I try to put on some kind of a dress shirt so at least uh, there's the semblance of uh, professionalism. And I, and I feel like I'm going about my usual uh, work day as I would if I were going into the office. That's good advice. I I have said that to my employees, too. I think it's important to dress the part. Uh, Your clothes send a signal to you. If you stay in your pajamas all day, uh, it it isn't sending the right signal. And your dress shirt is professional attire. Uh, We also, uh, running my company, we do uh, regular meetings where with Zoom meetings where we have everyone on the camera so we can see each other. And I think that also that contributes to a lot of things, right? A camaraderie, a sense of togetherness. We're even going to do a happy hour um, on, uh, on Zoom with everybody a couple of Fridays from now. And we're trying to figure out how to have some food delivered to every single person so that we all uh, have, I don't know whether it'll be together. Uh, but it's, I think it's a, you have to share, you have to find ways to create the comforting things that you have in your normal life. Life brought into this uh, relatively abnormal situation. Yeah, you know, I really like that idea of a happy hour and reaching out to friends or even having uh, family meals uh, mm. with people at a distance. And that's easy now with the technology, which is another reason to be grateful that uh, even though there's a horrible situation, a worldwide crisis, uh, I'm grateful that we have the technology that we can continue uh, to uh, do a lot of our routines that we would otherwise do if we weren't sheltering in place. In place, uh, you're right. It's, it's certainly for education. It's been a, a you know a good thing for young people to be able to see their teachers online and continue their education. I think we should probably talk about the more serious situations. The longer this goes on and. We know it'll definitely go through April. It might be a part of May as well. Some people are going to uh, fall into depression. Yeah. And that means that they'll have, a, you know, much more severe feelings. What do you recommend for people in, in that situation? Well, you know, I think this is a real problem. And, and depression is a, a, a very common mental disorder. It affects about uh, one out of every five people at some point during their lifetime. Now, you know, there are ways to reduce stress, which will lower your risk for depression, and it's it's critically important. I mean, people can meditate. They can make sure they get enough sleep at night. Um, they can exercise. Physical exercise is an important way to boost endorphins that uh, lift mood and help fight off depression. Uh, but a lot of these strategies 
may not work for everyone, particularly someone who has a predisposition to depression. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it, it's important, to, in addition uh, to using these self-help approaches, to reach out to a mental health professional. We're here, and, you know, part of what's taking up a lot of my time in the last few weeks is transitioning um, our division, our clinical work, to uh, telemedicine and telepsychiatry. So now we can, especially with telepsychiatry, it's, uh, we can reach out and have face-to-face meetings online or if those, those who are not so tech-savvy just on the telephone uh, to try to help with those symptoms of depression. And one thing we do know is that nearly all depressions are treatable, that people can get mm-hmm. better with psychotherapy, medication, or both. That's very good to point out. Do you have a phone number or a way which people can reach out to UCLA for for guidance or help for with the telepsychiatry and uh, well, other I kind that, of mental you know, health? One, you know, you can uh, search for the UCLA Longevity Center online, and and you mm-hmm. can it that way. And in addition to linking you up to our uh, clinical services, uh, we can uh, also uh, enlighten you about some of the uh, online courses that we're offering and, and other opportunities to help reduce stress, and and also the Semmel Institute uh, or Department of Psychiatry at UCLA. There are Mm -hmm. many resources for people to get help. Well, there's also, I know, the UCLA Mindful Awareness Research Center. They also have support for people with relaxation practices that can help reduce stress. And I'll just tell people that's at marc.ucla.edu. And, you know, many of us who are, are, are faced with, I happen to live alone, and uh, I find I've got more time now to do things, even though all day long I'm in meetings, and uh, television can get boring after a while. So I've taken up some other activities. Some people I know are looking at brain fitness and ways to strengthen their minds. Uh, do you have some recommendations in that area for cognitive ability enhancement or improving memory? Well, you know, much of... Uh... What I suggest to people to keep their brains healthy is has to do with keeping their bodies healthy. So we mm-hmm. already talked about getting some physical exercise. That's very important. Uh, nutrition is critically important. So eating balanced meals, uh, stress management is critically important. And you mentioned the UCLA Mindful Awareness Research Center or MARC. Uh, they, mm-hmm. You can uh, use their guided meditation apps to help you uh, sleep better and so forth. And then there are memory techniques that are very helpful. Uh, You can uh, search my TEDx talk online where I I talk about some of our memory techniques or just uh, Google drgarysmall.com or drgarysmall.com. I've written quite a number of books on this topic and uh, you don't even have to worry about having it delivered. You can uh, get an online version of it, so uh, you don't That's have to perfect. wash your hands after opening the package. <laughs> That's right. No, that that is perfect. I know that also I'm a, a big fan of yoga, and uh, there's something called uh, Yoga with Adrian that's free on YouTube, and she does uh, daily classes that are 40 minutes long that people can take for free. Um, I'm also familiar with um, uh, some of the apps like Calm, which is a good mm-hmm. one. Uh, these are all ways to uh, build a calmness into your life meditation. And, uh, you know, what's, what's wonderful about so many of these is they're non-judgmental, right? They're all about um, 
ways you can calm your mind, knowing that we're in a difficult situation. I, I love the TEDx talk, though. I think that's a wonderful thing for people to turn to also. Thank you. It's a chance to um, expand your mind, educate yourself at this point in time. Um, and I think learning ways to improve your memory and other cognitive abilities is a, a kind of a smart use of your time as we're finding that we, we are isolated. I will say that we see that uh, usage of the Internet's gone up over 22 percent. Mm-hmm. We also see television viewing, of course, has increased and news and cable news viewing in particular has gone up. So, you know, people are gathering the information. Now it's a matter of controlling how it affects your body and your mind. Now, on the exercise side, I'd just like to talk a little bit about that. You know, we, we've been told we have to stay safer at home, but going out for walks is still acceptable, correct? Of course, and it's actually good to get out and get some fresh air. And uh, there's actually been studies showing that, yes, uh, aerobic exercise on a treadmill indoors is helpful, but for cognitive health, uh, some studies show that just a walk outside is even more effective. And when we uh, think about um, exercise, we want to uh, get involved in aerobic exercise as well as strength training because there's additional mental health benefits from uh, resistance training or lifting weights and and that kind of approach. Uh, Another motivation to reduce stress is that it actually boosts one's immune system and ability to fight off infection. And everybody right now is concerned about infections. And so Mm -hmm. keeping that in mind uh, will motivate people to meditate, to exercise, and take care of their bodies and their brains. So good ways to boost their immune system so that their body is even stronger in terms of fighting off COVID-19. Good advice. I know when you talk about uh, exercise, aerobic exercise, it's really getting your heart going, right? It's being able to... Uh, get your heart moving at a certain pace so that you are uh, uh, exercising all parts of your body at the t- at, in that way. That's right. When we exercise, it gets our hearts to pump oxygen and nutrients to our brain cells, which is important to avoid depression and to boost memory. It also gets our bodies to produce those endorphins, which are the feel-good or natural antidepressants uh, that make us feel better. And in addition, our bodies produce uh, something called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF, which uh, gets our brain cells to sprout branches and communicate more effectively. Studies have found that you don't have to become a triathlete to get the brain benefits of exercise. Just 20 minutes a day uh, is associated with a lower risk for developing Alzheimer's dementia. And that's important to hear. I didn't know about this BDNF. So okay. it stimulates that, and then the brain has more, as you said, branches, more connections in the brain. Is that how it operates? It, it actually, yes. It stimulates the growth of what we call dendrites, which are little uh, tentacles that uh, reach out from the brain cells and makes them more effective in communicating. So you're telling us, uh, as we have been reading, the brain is really plastic, right? We're able to change it even uh, over the age of 50 or 60. It is plastic. And, uh, you know, people don't realize they have more control than they might assume they have when it comes to brain health. The studies suggest that genetics are important. But for the average person, these non-genetic factors have an even greater impact on how long and how well uh, we age. 
Now, we talked about the uh, dendrite tentacles in the brain cells and better communication between brain cells. And we also talked about reaching out to friends through the Internet. And I think another thing to consider about reaching out to friends is think back in your life some old friends from the past. And this might be a time mm-hmm. to check in with them. They may be at a distance. Uh, and that that can be very important to rejuvenate some of those older relationships that have meaning. I like that idea of checking in with older friends and being uh, open to discussions and conversations. And it allows you to kind of catch up on your life and and. Uh, have a sense of gratitude, which we also know has a very positive effect on the brain. And also rekindle those relationships. Rekindle relationships. You're absolutely fine what you have in common. I think it's always surprising how much more you have in common than you have difference, right, with those kinds of relationships. When you talk about more control over brain health, I know that one of the most important things is having purpose in your life and being able to be active. Can you speak to that? This is critically important. Uh, We find that people who are forced to retire or retire too soon and have no hobbies or interests, they don't do well. They actually have greater cognitive decline. Uh, So this sense of purpose is, is really important. And, you know, this is a challenging time. I think many of us don't realize how important it is to get up and go to work or go to school and you know, connect with people, hug them, shake hands. and Hug so them. Forth. Yes, exactly. So, that kind of human in, uh, engagement is critical. So we well, need Dr. to work hard you. right now in this uh, new world so that we are reaching out uh, and we are connecting with people, uh, but given the limitations that we don't want to uh, spread infection. That's exactly right. This has been very helpful. We've been talking with uh, Dr. Gary Small, who is Director of Geriatric Psychiatry and Director of the UCLA Longevity Center. You can see he's given us a lot of tips about how this will impact us from a stress-anxiety point of view, but how we can counter-affect this and countermand it with our own actions, activities, exercise, good health, and engaging with people in many, many different ways from Zoom and others. It's been very helpful. Thank you so much, Dr. Small. I appreciate all the advice you've given us. Thank you, and uh, stay healthy and stay safe. Thank you. Well, thank you all for listening. This has been The Deciders with Renee Frazier. As you know, I run Frazier Communications, a full-service advertising and communications firm. If you're interested in how our firm may help you, contact us at FraserCommunications.com to learn more. And you can listen to this as a podcast on the website, FraserCommunications.com. Thank you for listening to The Deciders. Stay well, stay healthy, isolate, and stay home. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions.